Amen. It's Father's Day, in case we didn't get that yet. My message today is the picture of a good father. After 30 years plus of sharing Father's Day messages, sometimes it starts feeling like you've said everything that can be said about the topic. <laughs> I've lived it. I've taught it. I've tried to live everything I teach. And you go, okay, I've heard messages. What more can I say? So you start doing research. And you start searching through different Father's Day topics, different Father's Day messages, different ministers that you know are going to be teaching on Father's Day. And you start reading some of the stuff they're going. You go, oh, okay. And you know, sooner or later, something sort of clicks. And you go, yeah, there it is. This is I can work off of this. And that's what happened this time. But as I was going through... I went through some of Kenneth Hagin's materials on Father's Day, and it was like, you know, this resonates. This is where I need to go. Now, I don't copy his messages, but I may take a lot of my um, content from them. So thank you, Brother Hagin, for being a father in the body of Christ, teaching so many of us, <laughs> helping us learn. One of the first things I want to mention about Father's Day or any other thing, we hear an awful lot always on Father's Day, well, this is what a good father is, this is what a good father does, and every one of us often ends up feeling, man, we have fallen so short. We don't want to get the cart before the horse. When you put the cart before the horse, everybody's busy trying to do everything in their power to do everything that they've ever heard that a father should do. What it boils down to is we need to be saying, first of all, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a living relationship with him, and we allow the Holy Spirit to operate in our hearts and in our lives so that when he does, we're going to be getting that unction from the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we recognize we have said the wrong thing to our children, but the Holy Spirit can then bring us to speak to them and say, you know, I apologize, I was wrong. Now, I know it's been very popular that some fathers can never say, I was wrong. If I say I was wrong, then the children won't respect me. They're going to respect you a whole bunch more when they find out that you can admit it when you blew it. They already know you did. <laughs> now they've got to figure out if you know that you did. <laughs> you know, most people won't expect you to be perfect if you quit trying to tell them that you are. If you tell them, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, I am serving the Lord, I may make mistakes, and ask for their forgiveness when you do. When you ask for forgiveness from somebody, don't do like one of my clients mentioned this last week. They had gone to speak to someone that had seriously offended them and explained to them what they had all done wrong, and the comment was, well, if I have done anything that hurt you, I'm sorry. That won't wash. <laughs> there is no general, if I have. You were just told that you had and what the problem was. Own it. And then say, I'm sorry. So one of the biggest compliments that you can give a man that has been raised by a good father is, you're just like your dad. And most of us, whether we like it or not, are just like our dads. <laughs> We have a lot of their characteristics. We have a lot of their sayings. Often when we open our mouth, my father is speaking. <laughs> and I go, oh, goodness. 
Because really, we end up being trained by one man, two people, but by one man most of our lives, and their characteristics will rub off on us. And if you know, we start looking for it, we're going to start seeing all of a sudden, this is something Dad would have done. And if it's a positive thing, it's all right. You don't have to feel embarrassed about it. You don't have to say, oh, man, I really messed up because I sound like my dad and I was going to do so much better. You know, everybody, when they get married, says, I'm going to do so much better than my parents did when I have kids. That lasts about two weeks. And all of a sudden you go, you know, the tried and true methods work. <laughs> all of the theories don't necessarily do what they're supposed to do. And then you start finding out all of a sudden, no, oh, these theories actually came from the scriptures, and that's why they're working, because this is what God said was going to work. And so it works. So one of the biggest things, like I said, is when you can hear somebody say to you, you're just like your dad, it's probably one of the biggest compliments. Fathers have a great responsibility. The world that we live in tomorrow is going to depend on what we teach our children today. You know, there's an old saying, be nice to your kids, they're going to find your nursing home. Uh, <laughs> and I don't think it has to get to that level. But they are going to be forming their world of tomorrow. The children today are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. And that's going to be whether it's in our church or in our nation. So what we are teaching our children today is going to have much longer impact than just by the time they leave home. Although there's been many great men, many great fathers, obviously the best example of a good father is our Heavenly Father, as we have discovered him in his word. And when we start searching for father in his word, when we start searching for father through a relationship, through prayer, through communication, his nature is going to start filling us and flowing out from us. And all of a sudden, when people say, you're just like your father, it's going to be, man, I have had high standards then. Mm -hmm. Years ago, Amy Grant sang a song, in my, in your, I see your father's eyes, or you have your father's eyes, or something to that effect anyway. And really, it spoke about exactly like that. When people look at you, do they see Jesus on you, or do they see all sorts of other garbage on you? Because we should be showing Jesus. First Thessalonians, 20, or First Thessalonians 2, in verses 7 to 12, Paul was speaking to the Thessalonian church, but he was speaking from the, air, from the position of a spiritual father. So he had some things that he wanted to teach the Thessalonians, and he, sp he spoke to them as a father. And when you read it, it talks about, he says, We were gentle among you. I'm reading from the NIV. We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of Christ, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil, the hardship, we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone until we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, these verses show us five attributes of a good father that we should all or would all do well to try and emulate or to build into our lives. 
As we go through them today, I, I will say that I'm still working on some of these things to walk in the fullness of them. But that's probably the key. See, once you've arrived, you're not needed here anymore. But as long as you recognize that there are still things in your own heart and life that need to continue to change, you're going to be able to be much more forgiving when you find something in somebody else's heart or life that needs to change. Now keep growing no matter where you start. Today, if I'm teaching this message here, I'm not condemning anybody. But I'm trying to encourage you to press on. You know the word we received this morning, things have replaced God in our lives. Things have covered over, and we need to get back to God. And that's really what it comes down to. Hopefully we'll get the whole word on the site yet later. But that's really what it needs. We need to be getting back and letting God have full reign. So we're not condemning anyone today. If I poke you, then say, oh, good, he's poking me. This shows me that I can still grow. And then take it like that. So the first thing is the ability to express genuine love. Now, this is something that is often hard for men. We have been raised, we're more used to dealing with being tough. And yet, in verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, we loved you so much. Now, I know sometimes men get confused, you know, oh, you don't, no, 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 don't want another man saying they love me. And yet, I do. I love many men. There's men that are dear to me. They're dear to my heart. My son, probably the most and first one. But other men, that I have a heart for them. I'm, they're dear. I know there's many men that have spoke to me and said, you know, I love you, Pastor. Why? Because they recognize the calling of God. They see what God has done or is doing. And when I look at these people and I can tell them I love them, it's because I see what God is doing and I recognize the heart that they have for God. It's no shame in loving someone in God's ways. You keep it that way, wonderful. Now, in the original language, those words speak of an intense love that keeps giving over and over and over again. And that really is one of the things, when you have someone that you love, you take the time and you try to invest, you try to teach, you try to help, you try to this. But sooner or later, you come to a point also that when someone wants to go their own way, you let them go because the best teacher can be a brick wall. You only scrape your nose so often on a brick wall before you say, I don't really like this. There's got to be a better way. And that's part of love, letting them accept the responsibilities for their decisions, being there to help them once they say, okay, I need help now. <laughs> but letting them make the moves and finding out. Too many times when we think when we love someone, we have to make sure that they don't ever do any wrong or don't ever have any boo-boos. And we end up having this bubble wrap society where children don't no learn anymore that you can make a bad mistake, but it's going to have consequences. You can make a bad choice. It's your choice. Now, once you're ready to say, okay, I want to straighten this out, come talk to me. But if you're enjoying it, by all means, go enjoy it until it doesn't become enjoyable anymore. As fathers, it is vital that we consistently express love and affection to our children. Now, I know that doesn't come easy either, and that may be why the Bible reminds us to do it so often. You know, men are the only ones in the Bible that have ever been told to love. 
other than the generic love one another, love all people. But it says, husbands, love your wives. Fathers, do not provoke your children. You know, it doesn't say that about women. Nowhere does it say women love your husbands. They, all they have to do is revere you. <laughs> sort of like bowing down and saying, Lord, Lord. <laughs> but that seems to have gone out of date. <laughs> yeah, that's the Mother's Day message. I'll let Pastor Jerry teach that one. <laughs> Now, the story of the prodigal son is one of the best examples of God, of a father's love for his child. If you're not familiar with the account, go read Luke chapter 15 later. The prodigal son has run away. He asks for his inheritance, which wasn't his inheritance yet. The father is still alive. You don't get inheritance until after your father passes away. He says, give me that which you owe me, basically. He takes his money, he runs off, he spends it in wild living, comes to the place, you're sitting in a pig pen, and he says, you know, my father's servants are better off than I am. Ding. The Bible says he comes to himself, or we would say today he came to his senses. He says, in my father's house, the servants eat more than what I have here. But then he goes, I will go to my father, and I will say, make me one of your servants. Notice the change of heart. Before he left, he says, Father, give me. When he comes back, he says, Father, make me. And sometimes children have to go through a period of time where they start recognizing that they are not the center of the universe instead of what you have taught them all those years. Because when they leave, they go, Father, give me. But like I said, a few brick walls, and they're coming back saying, Father, make me. <laughs> Change me. Make me something. <clears throat> so when the son returned home, there was no limit to how much the father showed his love. Do you notice the father saw him coming from a long ways away? And that tells you the father's heart. The father was not angry. The father was not upset. The father was not, he was hurt. He missed his son. But he wasn't holding judgment against his son because when he saw his son coming, he ran out to meet him after he had seen him a long way off. And the son goes through his speech. He says, Father, make me as a servant. And he yells, I says, bring the robes, bring the ring, bring, kill the fatted calf. No, my son has come to his senses now and my son is being restored to exactly the position or better than what he had before. And why would I say better? Because he's learned some stuff. He's capable of, more, of doing more now. He's got a position in his life that shows that see, he is something more than he wants. And one of the things the Apostle Paul writes about is when we end up having this love. Yeah, you, may, they may break it for a while. But the love still holds and the minute they show, they're back. Now that doesn't mean that the father was supporting bad life's choices. He didn't. Do you want to go live with the pigs? It's your choice. 
Nowhere does the Bible say that he went down to check all the pig pens to see if his son was living there. Nowhere does the Bible say that his father kept sending money now to support him in that lifestyle. Why? Because he didn't want him living in that lifestyle. The sooner he gets out of the lifestyle, the happier I'll be. I will not support him in that lifestyle. I will support him when he comes out of that lifestyle. Key lesson. Once you're ready to return, you know where I am. I love you. The second thing is a transparent life. Paul continued with, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, in verse 8. So Paul not only shared the good news of Jesus Christ with the Thessalonians, he modeled it with his life. He gave them a picture, a snapshot of what this was going to look like. See, it's one thing to preach the gospel to your kids, but it's a totally another to live it in front of them. Oh, yeah, you need to go to church. Oh, but, you know, Dad, I heard in church that uh, we shouldn't be lying. Nope, you shouldn't, but, Dad, you lie. Kids are smart. And you go down the list. If we hear it, if the kids are going to hear it in church, we should be modeling it. And again, a godly father's life, his decisions and values should demonstrate to his children that he is a Christian. Can your kids tell by your life that you love Jesus? That that's first place in your heart. So as fathers, we need to be transparent with our children. Your child should see their father as more than just an authority person or a money bag. When he is wrong, a good father has the courage to admit his mistakes. Ask his children for forgiveness. Not only will they see their dad as someone who is real, but they will end up developing that same forgiving attitude in their own lives. Instead of father losing his position of authority, he ends up enhancing it. Now we can respect him because we see he really means this. Now over the years, I had more than one opportunity to show our children that I could make mistakes and I could repent for it without the world ending. Somehow they never thought that I was in charge of running the world, so if I made a mistake, it would still be okay. I could ask forgiveness, and I could explain to them, you know, I blew it. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? And I could explain to our children that when you ever find yourself in a position where you have gone ahead and made a mistake and you recognize it as being a mistake, the best thing you can do is to confess it and repent of it. First from God, and then from us, if it involves us also. Confess it, and repent of it. Because somehow things go a whole bunch easier when I hear it from you than when I hear it in the shop. <laughs> and I will hear it. <laughs> you live in a fishbowl. <laughs> There's greater respect for someone who could admit being wrong than for someone who tries to convince the others that somehow or other... I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> and some of the convolvulated thinking that people can use to try and get there lets everybody know, yeah. <laughs> now the example a father sets from the way he handles stress and finances to the humor and joy he exudes will be imitated by his children. You know, dad wakes up in the morning and he's complaining because the coffee is cold and the toast is burnt and 
The kids pick up on that. Dad wakes up happy and says, this is a beautiful day. Bless the Lord. Guess what happens? The kids start waking up happy. It's going to be a great day today. Number three, unselfish diligence. As a father, it is our responsibility to teach our children a strong work ethic. Paul said, you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Verse 9. If fathers want their children to have a strong work ethic, they're going to have to model a strong work ethic for them. You cannot expect your children to have a strong work ethic if you are sick every sick day that you can have legally. Come on. Just sure you get a few amens there. Oh, well, just a second. <coughs> yeah, maybe I'm coming down with something. I should probably take a day off. <laughs> Hey, there's parents that do that, our fathers that do that. I'm too tired today. I didn't sleep well last night. Words of an old song. <laughs> fathers, you're the one that's going to have at least half the job to teach your children a work ethic. And if you're not going to do it, you're going to end up again creating a world that you don't want to live in. Yeah. And neither will their spouse for very long. <laughs> because a lot of people get married when they're young and in love, and then all of a sudden find out there's more to life than being in love. Lo being in love doesn't pay bills. Not in most jobs. <laughs> well, we could go all the others. It's, you know, they, they find out very quickly. This is not something we like. The commitment level isn't what used to be. That's father's job. If you want a strong work ethic for your child, you're going to have to model a strong work ethic. It's been said that kids who learn a good work ethic grow up to be healthier and happier than their less prepared counterparts. Because when they show up at their job the very first day and they find out that the boss doesn't think they're cute enough to give them an hour extra because they wanted to sleep. When they show up at work and they find out that their boss doesn't think they're funny enough to deserve a raise, When they go to work and find out they cannot whine long enough to make their boss want to pay them more, guess what happens? They end up the ones that can't find work and they're complaining there's no work to be had when every place in town is advertising for workers. You can't blame the kid, it's the parents. They're doing what they were trained to do. Train up a child. 
So part of creating a strong work ethic includes giving children chores and responsibilities from an early age. They need to learn that they are part of this family and they have a job to play in this family. I can remember when we first went to our granddaughter's house for dinner one evening and her girls were probably the, this big and this big. And our granddaughter was setting the table and it was okay, you come carry this. And she gave her one plate and she would go carry the plate to the table. She could have done it faster herself. But that wasn't the point. The other child was given cutlery. You put one of these on every place. They were helping. They were learning responsibility. They were learning that they were part of a family, and to be part of that family meant you had responsibilities, and often this is going to come from Father that is going to have to help make those things happen. See, children learn by doing and having the opportunity to do mistakes and learn from them, having loving correction and encouragement, and say, okay, why don't we do it this way instead? It's going to work better. It's going to work an awful lot better than a boss that's saying, that's it, you're out of here. There's a reason most bosses are going to give you a three-month probation period before they have to start kicking in on the benefits. Because if you can't make it through those three months, they don't have to pay all your separation stuff and everything. You're gone. You're out of here. Why? Because so many children can't pass the test. Spiritually genuine, number four, the Thessalonians saw how Paul lived. Paul said, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we are among you who have believed, in verse 10. So the believers in Thessalonica saw that Paul's actions lined up with his preaching. In other words, he had a genuine faith. He wasn't saying one thing and doing another. And they saw that. Well, if they saw that, your children see that. Make it genuine. It is absolutely essential for children to see that their father's faith is genuine, that his devotion to the Lord is more than lip service. Mm -hmm. Kids are very observant. They will notice if dad carries his Bible to church on Sunday but never opens it during the week. A father's worship and prayer life must be more than just giving lip service on Sunday mornings. They must be demonstrated daily in the home for his children to see. They see when dad chooses honesty, even if it may hurt him. I'll rather be honest than lie. I'll rather pay my full debt instead of try and cheat someone. So whether we realize it or not, we fathers are the spiritual leaders of our families. It is our responsibility to lead our families closer to the Lord. And fathers who won't live a life of genuine faith, saying one thing but doing another, actually end up leading their families away from God. I've heard grown people say, you know, I saw what some of these Christians were doing. And that turned me off. I was done. They're already grown people. Number five is a positive influence. Speaking as a spiritual father, Paul said, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. What is a life that is worthy of God? Rising to your potential. 
to stand before the throne of God and have God say, what did you do? Instead of, well done. Somehow I can't think that would be a pleasant experience. What, what potential does your child have? You know, train up a child in the way he should go. Every one of our children has different potential than the other one. No two kids are alike. There's not one manual fits all. What is your child good at? What are they capable of? What could they do if they would be encouraged? I believe is the word I used here. Encouraged and urged to push themselves. Hey, that's great. You managed to do that. We're so excited. You've done a good job. Now let's see if you can try this. And give them a harder task. Help them to recognize God has given them gifts. They need to push through and use their gifts, develop those gifts, because none of the gifts that God has placed in us are put in there fully developed. You know, the concert pianists do not just wake up one day and start playing the piano because God gave them this gift. But they have to be encouraged. You listen to every one of them. Well, mom took me to lessons. She forced me to go to lessons. Even when I didn't want to go, she forced me. And that gift got developed. I cried and mom said, stop it or you're going to get a spanking yet. Then you'll have something to cry about. <laughs> Amen. And they went and took lessons. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> but they got past twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> now, I've read that for every positive word... Most dads say to their children, they say 10 negative ones. See, many times we're good at telling our kids, no, don't, you can't, or stop that. My dog, I think, is starting to learn my vocabulary has shrunk to one word. No. <laughs> But a good father, understanding that his words have great influence, uses them in a more positive way to discipline, encourage, and inspire his children. You can say, you know, this doesn't make me happy. You're better than this. You have greater potential than this. I know the gene pool you come out of. You have a much greater chance at this than you're talking about. And start encouraging them. You can go better. You could do more. You know, this was okay. You tried. But what did you learn from this? And teaching them to press in and to go further rather than saying, oh, well, that's too bad. That was too hard for you. Just sit down here, relax, and I'll bring you a soother or something. <laughs> See, being a father is a great responsibility. is one of the most important and challenging things that any man can do. And I'm talking about being a father, not just making babies. I'm talking about being a father. If you are a father, you need to practice these traits to the best of your ability and ask your Heavenly Father for the strength and the wisdom to be a good father. Like I said, I can't say I've arrived. But I know it's the right path. 
And as long as you know it's the right path, then you know where you can go. <laughs> this is the direction. Walk ye in it. Now, I know we also have some really great fathers at Christful Gospel Fellowship. And I want to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of the fathers that are here. I want to thank you, men, for taking your place. Not just in your families, but in the church and in the community. It is a busy life. I know it is. But I also know that you guys are involved in some of the greatest work that any man can do on this earth. You are helping to shape another generation. You are preparing the world that we will be retiring in. Think of it that way. You don't like what's happening? Make some changes at home. So Father, I want to thank you this morning just for these words and I want to thank you for the ability to bring them. And I ask, Father, that they might be received out of a heart of love. Father, I love each one of these men. And I just pray that you would cause these words to encourage and to strengthen and to help build stronger families, stronger homes, stronger businesses, stronger communities, but above all, a stronger church. I thank you for the opportunity of sharing these words. And I just leave them now in your hands, in Jesus' name. Amen. So being Father's Day, we have a tradition.